It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Welcome into this Locked On Bears, Locked On Vikings crossover podcast. I'm Lauren Cox, the host of Locked On Bears, and I am joined by Sam Ekstrom, the host of Locked On Vikings. For your listeners, Sam, you can find me on Twitter at Cox Sports One. You can find my work at Pro Football Focus, and I also write for USA Today's BearsWire.com. Sam, let my listeners know what it is you do on Vikings with the Vikings and what they can and where they can find you on Twitter. Absolutely. At Sam Ekstrom on Twitter. Pretty simple. E-K-S-T-R-O-M, the last name. And my Vikings work going up at zonecoverage.com. I'm at the at the team facility right now, sitting in my car, which is probably a little better heated than it is outside the car which is about five degrees and snow and wind chill and terrible so that's the status of things here well thank god the vikings play indoors at that nice usa or u.s bank stadium that makes things a a lot easier i know like the bears are practicing indoors this week because they they have no reason to try and practice outside in this weather so it's a i think the players appreciate that too and, and not having to try and dredge through the the frozen ground in a frozen football i think if we were still playing at tcf bank stadium if it was still two years ago and they were on the u of m campus the forecast for sunday afternoon would be in the negatives and i think the low that day is about negative 14 so that would be an all-timer might have been even worse than the playoff game against seattle a couple of years ago which was about negative six uh we're in really a frozen tundra kind of feel uh, it's probably not going to turn for another 10 days or so so we're, we're hunkering down here, Lauren. Well, I will enjoy the warmth of my couch and television <laughs> and, and enjoy the game the way maybe it's best to watch football this time of year. But let's get into this matchup between two teams. I mean, we, we talked previously in week five. There was a lot to go through with the, the big debut of Mitchell Trubisky, and the Vikings ended up having their own quarterback change in that game. But fast-forwarding fast to right now, the Vikings, they're playing. They're kind of playing for a first round bye, but it also kind of feels like there's. It would take a pretty difficult situation for them to lose it. So, are we still expecting a full full fledged Vikings effort to play hard for four quarters to win this game, or do they kind of know that the result might not matter? Well, in their minds, do they know that? Yes, and I'm sure it makes them optimistic, but. If you believe everything you hear out of the facility, they're treating this like a playoff game. Mike Zimmer considered it a playoff game. Stefan Diggs, Kyle Rudolph, Adam Thielen yesterday, they were all saying the same thing. Like, this is a playoff-type atmosphere, playoff-type game for us because it counts for two. If we win this game, not only do we get a win in the regular season, but we get basically a free pass in the playoffs to the divisional round. No team has made the Super Bowl since 2012 without the bye. The Vikings desperately want the bye. And it's not like they can sit back and, and check the scores at halftime and say, oh, okay, the Saints are handling the Bucks. We're going to be fine. Because those are later games. This is a noon game on Sunday. And all the other games of consequence are 325 starts. 
So the Vikings want to take care of business so they don't have to sit in the locker room and sweat this thing out and pray that a miraculous scenario doesn't occur against them. It would take a couple upsets, Lauren, but crazier things have happened. So the Vikings definitely want to handle business. I'm not sure the Bears are going to get anything less than Minnesota's finest effort. Uh, so in case they were hoping to steal a win here late in the season, the Vikings aren't going to make it easy. Yeah, the Vikings haven't made it easy on anyone this year. And I, and I do want to get into later on one of the losses that they had this year more recently to the Panthers. But I want to, I want to take a big picture look here because obviously week five was a long time ago. And the Vikings quarterback situation, like week five was kind of the, the beginning of the Case Keenum era, or at least like the, the solidification of, of the start of the Case Keenum era. And, and he's, taken and run with the quarterback job. But what else has changed about the Vikings since week five? It's a great question. So week five was a huge turning point, actually, for this team, Lauren. It was They were 2-2. Two and two. Packers were 4-1 and one at the time. So Vikings lost against Chicago, which I think was a very real possibility going in. I think we talked on the show about that week about how the Vikings just had this wacky mojo at, at Soldier Field how they could easily go in and lose that game, and they almost did. It was 17-17 late. Harrison Smith makes the late interception. They win the game on a Kai Forbath field goal. So instead of falling two games back of Green Bay, and they were playing Green Bay next week, so that could have been the hammer down. Like That could have been three games back of Green Bay. Um, as it was, they beat Chicago. They went in. They injured Aaron Rodgers. They beat Green Bay, took the division lead, and that propelled them forward. Now, at that time in the season, they were kind of winning ugly, like the Green Bay win, the Chicago win, the Baltimore win, the Cleveland win to some extent. Those were kind of ugly wins, and people were saying, well, is that going to work against teams like Atlanta, Carolina, Los Angeles in the second half of the season? Everybody was afraid of the schedule. Well, then they come out of the bye, and they clearly made some important adjustments, particularly with the running game, with red zone offense. Case Keenum started playing his best football after the bye, and they rattle off four out of five against Washington, L.A., Detroit on the road, Atlanta on the road, excuse me, and then, of course, they lose to Carolina. But Keenum started playing his best football. Mike Zimmer put his faith in Keenum, and he said yesterday that he kind of really bought into Keenum as their quarterback about four or five weeks ago when he was playing so well amidst that eight-game winning streak. So I would say the Vikings are winning prettier now than they did back then. And as you saw, they took care of business against Cincinnati. They took care of business against Green Bay, didn't mess around. And they've got some great wins against some great teams mixed in there as well. And they've really taken on almost all of the NFC playoff picture. And they performed pretty well against most of those teams. So Minnesota, I think, has changed a lot since Week 5. Why don't you take us through what Chicago has done since that point? Because... In that game, I think Trubisky showed a lot of positive signs, particularly in the first quarter with the scripted plays they had, and then maybe tailed off as the game went on. How would you say he's progressed in the last couple months? Yeah, the Bears, since that Vikings game, went through a little bit of the, the roller coaster type season. You know, the, after that Vikings game, there was sort of a new level of hope still, even even after the loss that, hey... There's a rookie quarterback in here that can make some pretty impressive plays, even if he's still a little rough around the edges. They follow that up with the overtime win over the Ravens, and then they pretty well handled the Carolina Panthers after that. And you started to wonder if 
maybe the Bears were reaching some kind of turning point. They, they'd gotten up to three and four, that maybe this wasn't going to be as terrible of a season because the, you know, the first stretch of games was against a, a lot of playoff caliber opponents and obviously Mike Glennon wasn't getting the job done there. So they thought maybe that, you know, they string together a couple wins before the bye week, and then the schedule lightens up in the second half of the season with an injured Green Bay and, and San Francisco and Cincinnati and Cleveland, and, and maybe just maybe this team could at least push to get closer to 500 than they have been in years past. But they lose to the Saints right before the bye. They go into bye and come out against Green Bay and completely look flat. Nothing seemed to have changed. They didn't make any real strong adjustments, and you, you saw a team continue to lack direction and, and consistency, and they ended up losing five games in a row before they played the Bengals, which was sort of the, the temporary cure-all before the Lions kind of brought them back down where they needed to be. And, and you're, you're left with a Bears team facing a, a looming head coaching change this offseason. You've got Mitchell Trubisky playing well. And there's, you know, there's been some give and take there. They still haven't fully taken the gloves off and, and let him run a full-on offense. They kind of mix in parts here and there, but they still like to to simplify things here and there and, and take some questionable decisions at some critical moments as far as third downs and not getting guys open past the, the first down marker. And, you know, the offensive line hasn't helped a ton in that sense. And now... They're more banged up than they were in week five, and they're they're just not consistently playing up to their up to the potential of their young talent right now. And I don't think you're going to see a lot of Bears fans super optimistic for a, a close game against the Minnesota Vikings. But at the same time, we think Trubisky has shown enough to say that it's not going to be a blowout either. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Well, let me just spiderweb off of that coaching change you alluded to because I see it too. The writing's on the wall. I'm not sure that Fox could do much even in this game if they were to come out with an upset win. I think his fate might already be written. How do you feel about the guys below him, though, the coordinator, quarterbacks coach, offensive coaches? Do you feel like it's going to be a house cleaning, or are there some pieces there that would help Trubisky develop in the future, or do you think it's going to be a clean slate with a new coaching staff next year? I think it's going to be a clean slate, but I I also think it's hard sometimes with this team to fully evaluate some of the guys, particularly on the offensive side of the ball, because there's a certain unknown level of influence that John Fox has on this offense. And the Bears have kind of hinted at it subtly behind the scenes. Like Mitchell Trubisky at one point a few weeks ago had some quote about, you know, he was asked if, if the, you know, if he feels like the coaches have faith in him and, and how he likes the offense. And he said something about executing what John Fox allows us to do on offense or what coach Fox allows us to do on offense, which is concerning because Fox has never been an offensive guy and you kind of would hope he lets the offensive coordinator kind of run things. So there's, there's some unknown level of, you know, obviously John Fox isn't calling the plays, but he's clearly influencing 
some decisions on that end. And there's been plenty of reason to complain about offensive personnel usage from the offensive coordinator, play calling in certain situations, not getting certain players on the field, you know, not getting young players on the field that can make impact plays and not scheming to get the ball their way or, or use like a Tariq Cohen as a decoy. There have been a lot of issues that you seem to be able to point to the offensive coordinator, you know, regardless of John Fox's influence. But at the same time, you wonder just how much John Fox has been able to influence there. And then defensively, the defensive coordinator, Vic Fangio, is has done a pretty solid job considering the the injuries and the lack of talent right now at some positions on the defense. But the the worst kept secret in Chicago is that he wanted out after last year and had another year left in his contract. Even if John Fox were to come back next year, which seems entirely unlikely, Vic Fangio is gone pretty much one way or another, unless they were to hire some head coach that would want to keep Vic. It still seems unlikely, and we're looking at pretty much a full house cleaning in Chicago. Well... The Vikings have a lot of coordinators that are going to have some pretty high stocks, and I think they're all interested in moving up the ranks. So will you care for a Pat Shermer, a George Edwards, or a Mike Prefer, the Vikings three coordinators? Any of them? Take your pick. Yeah, I'll I'll pass on Mike Prefer based on some of the, the stuff that came out about him a couple years ago. But yeah. you know, I, I had uh, Arif Hassan from Zone Coverage along with you on the show a couple weeks ago to talk about Pat Shermer as a head coach candidate. I'm definitely... Definitely eyeing him as at least someone near the top of the list. It's just not a it's not a great crop of head coaching candidates. There's no Kyle Shanahan out there right now. I mean, I think you know you see like the John D. Filippo and the Matt Lafleur from Los Angeles. There's some there's a lot of reason to be excited there, but there's some some real risk that goes into that. And I think Shermer has that baseline level of you know some of what you're getting with him, and maybe he hasn't had the perfect track record and, and Cleveland was a, a difficult situation on, on its own, but he's done some pretty phenomenal things with Case Keenum and Sam Bradford in Minnesota and getting those weapons in a pretty nice position to be successful. And I want to, I want to turn it back there because, you know, I look at this Vikings running game and you talk about the change at the bye week and maybe they've been more successful lately, but it seems like they also, you know, like McKinnon and, and Latavius Murray, you're not getting a hundred yards in any game from them individually, but they kind of combine with maybe a few Keenum scrambles to get the team a decent ground game. How would you describe, I guess, the, the, the effectiveness of the Vikings running game? Yeah, it's interesting because they lose Dalvin Cook and everyone thinks the world's ending. They're two and two at that point and Cook everyone assumed had been the reason behind the resurrected rushing game. They thought that, well, this rushing game was terrible last year, that injured Adrian Peterson, Matt Asiata was getting too many carries, but now Dalvin Cook, he's changed things. He goes out, people assume that it's over for the running game. Well, it hasn't been. The offensive line has been so much better this year, it's unbelievable. They, they had some more mobile interior linemen. Pat Elfline has been a monster at getting to the second level. Nick Easton, their left guard, who might be the weak link on that line, and he's out now with uh, a fractured ankle. He's done for the year, but he was great at getting to the outside. He was really tough. Joe Berger is a stalwart veteran at right guard, so their guard play's been so much better, helping run between the tackles. McKinnon is naturally gifted at getting to the outside, and he's also great in the passing game, which is another story. But Murray seems to be far more effective in short yardage than they had last year. 
And McKinnon has been incredibly efficient. Like last week against the Packers, only seven carries, but he went for 42 yards. And it's not like one of those runs was 35 yards. He was rattling off seven, eight, six yards a run and racking up a nice total. So they sprinkle in McKinnon, a heavy dose of Murray, who I think frustrates a lot of fans because he really can't run laterally. He's still only good for about three and a half to four yards a carry. And I don't think he's really a long-term answer. And obviously, Dalvin Cook will take his place again next year. But I I think it's a combo of good play calling. I think Pat Shermer's been really adaptable. He knows when to call the run plays. Uh, He calls them against good defensive personnel sets that are favorable to the Vikings' blocking schemes. Uh, He seems to to succeed when he runs the hurry-up in the run game, which he will do a lot. He likes to kind of kind of keep his hand on the throttle, change the pace of the offense, and they'll they'll hurry up to the line after a long pass play, hits, hit a team with a run, maybe when they're a little bit gassed, and they'll get seven yards, and, and they get second and short, and that sets up the rest of his play calling. So it's a good rhythm that Shermer has. The offensive line is a lot faster than it was last year, and I think it helps for Murray and McKinnon to know that they're the guys. Cook's gone. They're not, you know, McKinnon's not looking over his shoulder like he did last year with Adrian Peterson's impending return. That's kind of been the the theme of the running game. You know, no one is is outstanding at anything. No one, but uh, you've got a lot of masters of none out there, guys who just do their job and and they kind of get through it in gritty fashion. Part of that too is I, I was looking at the Pro Football Focus numbers and Case Keenum runs the most play action of any quarterback in the NFL this season and. That's going to be one of the key matchups I'm looking for in this game because seems like lately and perhaps uncharacteristically, even Danny Trevathan, the Bears veteran linebacker, he's been really slow to read and react to play action and, and get back and get to, uh, you know, to cover a receiver behind him. And so, you know, I could see that being an easy advantage for the Vikings if if Kyle Rudolph's able to go out there. I know he was limited at practice earlier this week. Do you know what his status is? And, and on the topic of injuries, the center, Pat Elfline, you mentioned him too. He wasn't practicing with the shoulder. Do you know what the status is of those two guys and, and what the potential play, replacement plans would be? Sure. Um, well, in Rudolph's case, he's been battling an ankle injury since the Panthers game. But he played the next week against Cincinnati. He played against Green Bay. So he hasn't really missed any time. I think they're just taking it easy on him during the week. He'll probably play. Pat Elfline, I just got out of practice about 30 minutes ago. Elfline did not have a helmet on, so that's two days now of inactive Elfline. So then the succession plan with, again, no more Nick Easton. He was the backup center. That means Joe Berger will take his old spot at center, moving from right guard to center. Uh, You're going to have Jeremiah Searles filling in at left guard for Easton. And then right guard probably becomes Danny Isadora, the fifth-round rookie out of Miami. He's gotten a little bit of time this year. But you're going to have possibly an entirely new interior line look. And that's a concern, honestly, for the Vikings going forward because so much of the offensive line is built around chemistry. The interior line has been so strong this year that you hate to mess it up. But uh, you obviously want to keep Elfline healthy for the playoffs. So maybe uh, if he doesn't play, it might be the type of injury where he could have played if it was a playoff game, but I would expect he's he's back for the playoffs, if not on Sunday. So, uh, yeah, I think those were the only two two you asked about. Elfline would be replaced by Berger. I think Rudolph plays, so no worries about that. No worries about him. Well, I wanted to ask you too about that Carolina Panthers loss from a couple weeks ago because it seemed relatively uncharacteristic 
for the Vikings. And I mean, in the world of NFL parody, the Bears beat the Panthers, and the Panthers beat the Vikings. So in theory, the Bears should win in Week 17. But in, in reality, you know, like that, that was a game where Case Keenum had some turnovers, and, and surprisingly, the Vikings defense got gashed in the running game. It seemed like, you know, Cam Newton was able to scramble for quite a bit, and I think Jonathan Stewart was running the ground game well. Obviously, the Bears are going to try and get their ground game going to take pressure off of Mitchell Trubisky. That's always been the strategy every week. What were the Panthers able to do in the ground game against a very good Minnesota Vikings defense that other teams haven't been as successful doing? Yeah, that was a wacky game, and maybe this comes off as as a biased take, but I think it's it's actually fairly objective. I think the Vikings didn't do nearly as much wrong in that game as people want to want to assume by the box score. Panthers had 216 yards, I think, uh, in that game on the ground. That was two. That was two plays. They had two plays that went for I think 60 and 70 yards respectively. The Vikings held them to 2.8 yards per carry on every other carry in that game. It was two plays. So the first one was like a third and in inches. Uh, Panthers went with an eight-man line. They had three guys off right tackle. Um, I think it was unbalanced actually. They just loaded up the right side. Vikings had a terrible run fit, and Jonathan Stewart broke through the line. There was nobody back because the Vikings had everybody in the box, and he went for a touchdown. Second one uh, was a bad play on a read option by Everson Griffin. It was a Cam Newton read option in the fourth quarter of that game when it was tied at 24. Griffin bit on the fake handoff. He committed to the running back, and then Newton broke off left tackle just juked our safety Andrew Sandejo out of his out of his jock and then scampered for 70 yards. It was two bad plays. I don't think it was a consistent problem, and I think the Vikings have backed it up now with two straight uh, wins after that, demonstrating that, yeah, they know how to defend the run. They're second best in the league in that category. And then there were just a bunch of things that went wrong in that game, too. You know, they miss a field goal. They had a, an interception that hit Stefan Diggs in the hands. They had a fumble that was like sitting on Case Keenum's palm that he threw, and it looked like an incomplete pass. Nobody knew what to do, and then Carolina picked it up. So there was just some crazy things happening. I think if they played Carolina again, especially at home, I think they would win. Um, and they still almost won that game, too, despite everything that went amiss. They still almost won that game in the fourth quarter. So honestly, a lot of Vikings fans went away from that game, Lauren somewhat encouraged like wow everything went wrong and we still were in it late in the fourth quarter and I think the Vikings have responded really well to it might have been a little wake-up call and it might have given them some urgency here going into week 17 um, let me turn the turn the tide over to the Bears talk a little bit about Chicago here and I've asked this to the last two opposing hosts that I've had on the show uh, and it was the Cincinnati host the Green Bay host and their seasons haven't gone great same can be said for your team but what do you think is the glimmer of hope? What do you think Bears fans are clinging to going forward? Obviously, Trubisky's an obvious answer. Uh, what else can you add to that? Yeah, it's it's honestly Trubisky. Like, it's Trubisky <laughs> and a new head coach. There's not a lot of, of you know, excitement on the rest of the team. You know, Tariq Cohen is fun to watch when he's got the ball in his hands, but they've had some trouble getting the ball in his hands and, you know, you want you know Jordan Howard can get his you know three four yards per carry for the most part, and even when the offensive line 
isn't that great. But like their second round pick, Adam Shaheen, the tight end, he's been dealing with, I think, a chest injury and has not played in the last few weeks. And I think he was still limited coming into this week at, at practice. And so it remains to be seen even if he's going to play. So that there's not a lot of shine on the offense. And then on the other side of the ball, you, you know, it's fun to get excited about Kyle Fuller and Prince of Mukamara at cornerback. But both of those guys are going to be going to be free agents this offseason. And it remains to be seen if the Bears are going to want to pay up because the, the price for free agent cornerbacks is not cheap and you know as much as they might want to re-sign their own Fuller wasn't drafted by this general manager there was some tension between he and the defensive coordinator last year so he might be on the way out I mean it's kind of Mitch Trubisky on offense Akeem Hicks on defense they're they're here for a while they're locked in they're they're young and they're they're playing at a very high level and everything else is kind of just biding your time until John Fox get fired and and you know that they were less than a week away from that, so I think Bears fans are, are getting a little bit antsy. They're 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 looking forward to a, a very uh, exciting Black Monday. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Well, from afar, it feels like Chicago has a nice defensive foundation. Your top 8, top 10, top 12, and a lot of defensive categories. And as Vikings fans know... A defensive turnaround can happen pretty quickly. From 2013 to 2014, when they brought Zimmer in, they leapt up 15, 20 spots in defense just with a new head coach and a couple acquisitions in the offseason. And then the next year, they took another big step, and suddenly they were a top-five defense, and they've pretty well stayed that way for the next three years. Even with all the quarterback uncertainty, they've gone from uh, Castle to Bridgewater, then to Bradford, then to Keenum. They haven't had a consistent quarterback for any of Zimmer's four years, and yet they've still been a very competitive team. And if not for a bunch of injuries last year, we'd probably be talking about a three-time division champion. Um, I think you got to invest in that defense. Uh, bring in a defensive-minded coach and and build a strong defense around Trubisky. I feel like that's got to be the, obje- the objective, right? To, to try to give him some support on the defensive side? I think everyone in Chicago wants the next... Doug Peterson, the next Sean McVay. They want that young, hotshot offensive coordinator to come in, build a real offense around the rookie quarterback. And I, I do think a, a, quite a few people are kind of taking the D, the Bears defense for granted. I mean, they are currently top 10 in both passing and rushing yards allowed and right around the similar area in terms of like per carry and, and per attempt type averages and you know top 10 in points allowed and, and yards allowed so they're they're subtly not a bad defense at all and I think people are too quick to kind of assume that they can just plug in and get a, an equally good defensive coordinator to that to, that a new head coach will just be able to find one and but Vic Fangio has quietly done a pretty solid job despite you know, losing his top pass rushers, losing some depth on the defensive line. And, you know, he, his is a scheme that needs good outside linebackers. And, and right now it's Sam Macho and Lamar Houston. 
not even necessarily doing a great job. And the Bears' pass rush has been probably the biggest issue on their defense. And yet they're still able to stay in pretty much every game they've gone up. They haven't really been truly blown out since the Philadelphia Eagles game. And, and that was obviously against a top-notch opponent. But they've, they've played the Lions tough. They played the Packers tough. They played the New Orleans Saints tough earlier in the season. And that that is definitely something that I think gets overlooked. But all signs are pointing to the, the young, offensive-minded head coach. And maybe they can keep Vic Fangio, but more often than more likely than not, there's going to be some change in the coaching on the defense, and I think that's a, a real concern moving forward and something that, you know, Minnesota Vikings have been able to linger through here. You know, they, they lucked out to find a Pat Shermer, to, sort of from tight ends coach to offensive coordinator, to run a pretty successful offense underneath the defensive-minded head coach. So it's, 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 there's no easy way to do it, and I, I think we'll see them shoot for offense, but... And I don't know, it wouldn't surprise me if they surprised other people and, and went for a defensive-minded guy because I think everyone is pushing for offensive guy, offensive guy, offensive guy. So, you know, I think they're going to do their due diligence, but more more likely than not, they're finding the best coach for Mitchell Trubisky, and I think they might see that as an offensive guy. Yeah, yeah, I guess that makes sense, Lauren. Uh, Off-topic, is Zach Miller going to play again? What are the reports on Miller? I would be surprised. I mean, it's very unknown right now. They he almost lost his leg after that yeah. injury in the, in the Saints game, and he's he's walking around with a big old brace on there. It's I I have a feeling it's it's going to be the type of thing where he would miss all of 2018 anyway, and then he is well on the wrong side of 30. I want to say he's 32 already. He might be turning 33, but uh, so he he is 33 already. He'd turn 34 during the season next year. So. Could he play again in 2019? Maybe. Will he want to? That remain. You know, he hasn't announced his retirement or anything. He hasn't really been. I mean, I think he was asked about it, and he kind of said, "Well, I'm just focusing on being able to walk normally, and then I'll I'll make a decision about football." But I would be pretty surprised if Zach Miller plays football again. And the Bears have missed having him on offense. He was kind of their most consistent passing threat. Early in the season, you know, the, the, the rookie Adam Shaheen ha- has flashed a few times since, but he's still hurt, like I mentioned earlier. And they've kind of just been left with Kendall Wright out of the slot as their primary receiving option. And he's been doing a, a pretty consistent job there, but he's surrounded by like a Josh Bellamy at wide receiver who's more of a special teams player. And they traded for Dontrell Inman from the Chargers, who initially played pretty well, but has been non-existent in the last few weeks and there's also Marcus Wheaton that they signed this offseason but he has just been a complete and total waste of space and money so still not getting a consistent weapons without Zach Miller and it's been you know it's it's limited their offense in some sense I mean in other sense you know they haven't been passing it as effectively as they could there have been a few times when Mitchell Trubisky just isn't hitting a few throws when he needs to and a, a couple turnovers in the, the Lions game certainly didn't help but you know they they've they face some pretty quality defenses, and they're going to be getting another one of those this week. And I, I've got my eye on Harrison Smith making some more plays this week. And I was going to ask you about how he's utilized. For my listeners that don't watch a lot of Minnesota Vikings, you know, he's obviously a, a Pro Bowl snub, I think, across the board for a, a safety there. But yeah. where's his playing time split in terms of being in the box versus covering in a slot and then also taking a, a deep end on the field? He's definitely in the box most of the time. They reserve a lot of the the playing back 
um, kind of the last line of defense, the, the this high safety for Andrew Sandejo, because they like Sandejo in pass coverage, but in run coverage too, Sandejo is kind of the, the bowling ball that comes in and crashes and sometimes recklessly just hits people, but he finishes off a lot of tackles. Smith is a little bit savvier. Yeah, he can he can cover a guy in the slot, but more often than, than that, he, he's going to, to at least bluff a blitz. He'll bluff a safety blitz. Sometimes he'll come. The Vikings, all, all their blitz packages are predicated on diversion and sleight of hand, and so often they're showing blitz and not bringing it, but it, it creates scrambles at the line of scrimmage, especially for inexperienced lines. They don't know how to handle it, and Smith provides such a, a realistic threat that you have to account for him. So when he's playing up at the line, yeah, you got to figure out who's taking Harrison Smith, whether or not he's going to come. Um, Harrison Smith is putting together a, a remarkable season, and it's a shame he wasn't initially in the Pro Bowl. Now, I assume with Landon Collins going down, he might be next in line. Uh, he was just the NFC Defensive Player of the Week. He had two interceptions against Green Bay. But, yeah, he's going to muck it up in there with the line. He's not going to, like, freelance deep downfield and just and intercept deep passes. You know, most of his interceptions come on those underneath routes where he sort of tricks the wide receiver, uh, and then he cuts under like he did against Trubisky in Week 5. He did it twice against Hunley on Saturday. Smith is a lot of fun to watch. He's maybe not as sexy as a guy like Troy Polamalu, but he does everything well. He's incredible at tackling. He reads passing plays like no other safety I've ever seen. Rarely makes a mistake. So Harrison Smith is un- so underrated, I think, in this league. Two-time Pro Bowler, probably should be a three- or four-time Pro Bowler. And, uh, I mean, he's got us. If he were to, if we were to get hurt on this defense, it might be one of the most devastating injuries to this unit. That's how important he is. Wow. Well, let's let's get into some game predictions here. You know, mm-hmm. obviously the the discrepancy between these two teams seems to be large. What, what are you feeling for a score prediction here? I'm I'm feeling we're both taking the Vikings, but what kind of margin are you looking at? Yeah, I said twenty eight ten yesterday, and I'm thinking to stick with that. I'm just looking back at the Vikings home games this year. Uh, aside from their their anomaly loss against Detroit, where they lost Dalvin Cook and they fumbled three times. They beat the Bucks by 17. They beat the, the Packers by 13. They beat the Rams by 17. Bengals by 27. Uh, Ravens game was 15 until they had a garbage time touchdown. You know, it has no team has come in and really competed at home except for Detroit. And the way the Vikings have come out of the gate recently, it feels like they'll get up early in this game. And I don't see Chicago scoring more than twice offensively, barring a Vikings giveaway on offense. Chicago would have to make some incredible defensive plays if they were going to to get in this game early. It would have to be sort of like when the Vikings played the Browns. The Browns intercepted Keenum right out of the gate, and they scored an early touchdown. And they made that interesting into the fourth quarter. Chicago would have to do something similar. But again, Trubisky is probably going to be in his most hostile atmosphere at U.S. Bank Stadium. These, uh, this crowd is totally bought into the team and the defense, and they're going to really create a home field advantage. So I have a hard time seeing Chicago scoring more than 10, maybe 13 or 14 max. Uh, I'm going to go with Minnesota by 18. They're the best team against the spread in the NFL this year, Lauren. I think they cover. 
Well, the Bears have not won this season. They're in under John Fox. They have not won a game until last week that they were favored in the in the point spread. So they've been they have not done well in the world of betting. But yeah, I'm going to go a similar idea. But I'm going to go twenty one thirteen. I think maybe the Bears. You know, maybe it's six twenty one for a long time, and then in the fourth quarter, the Bears finally get a touchdown or something like that to make the final score a little bit closer than the game felt for four quarters. But one way or another. I, I maybe they maybe they just barely squeak in and cover it. I feel like maybe you get a Vikings missed field goal in there as well, and you know by the fourth quarter you're, you're feeling pretty comfortable in Minnesota, and, and the Vikings are well on their way to a first round bye. It's certainly two very different feeling seasons, but Sam, I, I appreciate you doing this crossover podcast here to, to break down this game. It's the last one of the regular season, and I, I wish you luck in your playoff podcast. I'm not going to know what that's like. <laughs> Well, thank you for your contributions, Lauren. Uh, I'm, I'm sure my listeners appreciate your insight. You're one of the sharpest guys we have on the show, so I'd certainly appreciate it. And I said this uh, to another Chicago show I went on, that it's hard to talk about a team when, when they're losing. Vikings went through the doldrums last year, and it's a grind. So it's noble work that you do. I'm sure your listeners appreciate it. Keep on trucking, and I'm sure things will turn around for you. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.